You are listening to Raices Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of Black, Indigenous people of color and connection to the environment. My name is Samara Almonte, and I acknowledge that I am recording on traditional lands of the Duwamish people, which are part of the Coselis tribes, also known as Linwood, Washington. Our guest today is joining us from Yanawana, also known as San Antonio, Texas. Um, I'm really excited to introduce our guest. She is also part of the series Black Geographies, really thinking about spatialization of Black identity within the environment. So today we have Kiamber Thompson. They are a queer uh, Black Sicana educator, organizer, artist, and entrepreneur from the west side of San Antonio. Since graduating from Pomona College in 2018, she's done environmental justice work in Flint, Michigan through the Doris Duke Conservation Scholars Program at the University of Michigan and spent a year in Washington, D.C. doing policy, research, and storytelling work with the Ocean Conservancy. Kiamber is the founder and director of the Charles Roundtree Bloom Project, an outdoor healing justice program for youth of incarcerated parents in San Antonio. She's currently on the move to Santa Cruz, California, where she will be pursuing her PhD at UC Santa Cruz and continuing to build out the Bloom Project. I'm really excited to have Kim Brown here. There's someone who, since I met through the Doris Duke program, I've just been in awe at the way she explains things and brings, you know, her um, identity and her community for to the forefront of this movement, to the forefront of everything she does. So yeah, thank you for being on here, Kimber. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Samara. Um, so are you already moving to Santa Cruz or is it like happening soon? I'm going to be moving in about two weeks, so I'm... Um packing, starting to pack and stuff now, getting, preparing for that transition. Wow, it's going to be so exciting. Um, do you have like a place already in mind you're getting to in Santa Cruz or still looking? Yeah, I have a place uh, which I'm excited to be in my own space again. And I, I like fell in love with California because um, where I did my undergrad. So I'm also looking forward to going back because this is my first time living in like the kind of Bay Area-ish of California. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be really good. So before we get into all of the amazing work that you're doing and maybe what you're doing in grad school, like just to get to know you better and root this, uh, put some foundation to this work, what do you consider your raíces verdes, you know, your green roots? Like what does that mean to you? Yeah, when I think of my um, raíces verdes, I think of think of my my family and uh just like um different things that I learned growing up so for example like um turning turning off the lights to to save um electricity which is about saving money and so conserving energy in that way um my my great grandma uh, <laughs> When she would make um, food for us, uh, she would serve it to us on, on paper plates, which, you know, not necessarily sustainable because they're disposable, but she would always wash them. Like, <laughs> these paper plates would be greasy, um, but yeah, she would, she would wash them and, and we'd reuse them. Um, and so those, like, conservation efforts come to mind for sure. And um, I think also, though, um, I think as I'm, like, looking back, a bit more at my childhood um, moments that come to mind are like we would go to the river and go tubing, which is like a big thing in Texas, and um, just spending all that time with, with my cousins and 
um, just like exploring, seeing kids and getting into things, playing in the dirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, going through like alleys and creeks and stuff. Um, the places that may not seem like as um, as like uh, aesthetically like when we think of like the outdoors. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess I wanted to also ask if you could expand a little bit how maybe that ties into your um, identity, because I don't know if I pronounced it right. What do you say? Black Chicana or Black Chicana? Like, how would you say that? Yeah, like, um, Black Chicana. Black Chicana. OK, so do you want to just maybe talk about that and maybe how that connected to like your upbringing in terms of Raices Verdes? Yeah, um, so my my family is largely Black and Mexican, um, and so yeah, my um, my grandpa is Mexican and Black. His his grandma, the great grandma that I mentioned, Grandma B, um, she's Mexican, and then yeah, so we're all very um, <laughs> mixed, so many different shades of us. Uh, my family's huge, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, I think growing up in like a um, multi-ethnic, multicultural um, family played a role in like my green roots, my race of business. And um, yeah, that's something I take like pride in. And I think also like through exploring that identity, because I didn't always identify as such, um, I like Finding of like my my race, and if that's like a question I have the answer, I say I'm black. Um, I think about my ethnicity. Um, I'll I'll name like being Mexicana just because that makes sense to me and feels right to me. But I also like, even though like our family is like both black and Mexican, um, also grew up, grew up like around a quite a bit anti-blackness from. Uh, Mexican side of my family and just like growing up in San Antonio that's like um, which has like a large um, Latinx population and so that wasn't it was it, for me it was like well it's like y'all feel this way about like me you know me being like because of my skin color um, seen as a, as, a, as a black girl as a black woman um, and like I don't necessarily want that to be a part of that mm-hmm. um but i think when i got to college and started just like exploring my identity in, in different ways um i felt i felt good about taking kind of more ownership over um my multicultural um multi-ethnic background and yeah and then part of that too became um thinking about uh what, what you call green roots um and the different influences um and I, I, and I honestly will say that like my great grandma um grandma B, she had a huge influence on on that like yeah she she was the one who made sure that like every year we went beach um camping for the fourth of july and uh she like loved the river so we were always there and um yeah mm-hmm. no that's beautiful thank you for sharing that and so now kind of shifting more towards um, the topic about like your work and about um, how this relates to black geographies, would you mind telling us more about like the inspiration and the work that you're trying to do with the creation of the Charles Round Tree Bloom Project? So the Charles Round Tree Bloom Project uh, is, 
yeah, very uh, personal project. Um, so when I was an undergrad, um, I, so let me actually back up a little bit more. Uh, so I grew up having different family members um, incarcerated, uh, growing up in San Antonio on the west side and the east side, which are um, communities of color and like mostly low income. Uh, there, there's, we're hyper surveilled and hyper policed and um, yeah, I had a lot of, all of my interactions with police were negative and some of them traumatic and um, my mom was incarcerated, my grandpa was incarcerated, um, different family members and so that really um, had a lot of touch points with the uh, incarceration system. And then when I got to college and uh, I had my first experiences organizing um, I started off doing fossil fuel divestment organizing work, and anyway, I, I was I was like, oh, I, I would love to start a program at my school that um, a kind of mentorship program for youth of incarcerated parents. So, I was thinking about connecting with like nearby middle and high schools, um, and to create a kind of mentorship program between our university and, and their schools. That didn't pan out, but I ended up starting a prison abolition organization. So. Um, started doing that throughout the rest of my time. And anyway, once I graduated and was in DC working on Push Conservancy, I I wanted to do that work because I wanted uh, to get more policy experience and just wanted to grow my network, which I did. And it was really wonderful in a lot of ways. And I also realized quickly that um, I really wanted to do community work. I um, more direct community work. Um, what I was doing was Kind of far removed um even though i was like doing storytelling and talking to uh community it wasn't as direct as i was craving and so i was like what can i do this is probably like i don't know maybe going halfway into my fellowship year and i came up with the idea for the bloom project i was like it would be great to move back home before i plan on uh continuing school and um I really wanted to work at the intersection of uh, prison abolition and environmental justice. And so the idea for Bloom Project, creating an outdoor healing justice program um, for, for UT Pi incarcerated parents came to me and I started putting that on paper and planning it out and um, students started applying to fellowships and grants for it. And then um, in that in that process, uh, had then found out that my my younger cousin uh, Charles Roundtree, he was shot and killed by a police officer in San Antonio, and um, yeah, that was that was a lot. That was uh, really difficult. That was traumatic. It was tragic. Um, so many things, and it also gave me more motivation to um, more motivation to start this work and. Uh, more reason, it also felt like more reason why um, the Bloom Project, a program like that, should exist in a place like San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And um, after I finished out my fellowship, then I moved back home and launched it. Yeah, and, and, and I mentioned before that it's a really personal project, and not only because of my experiences with incarceration and having had incarcerated parents and, and really knowing those um knowing what that's like and also seeing it too with like a lot of my younger cousins who've also had incarcerated parents and 
I think there's just like, there's not enough awareness um, around uh, this. Like when we think about criminal justice system, we think about um, mass incarceration, it, we do tend to focus more on um, the, the folks incarcerated in that way. Um, we don't really kind of think about what are the impacts on families and um, and on the, the children that some of these folks are leaving behind um, and are separated from. And so, um, yeah, that and they're, they're, they're like more, the population of youth who have incarcerated, who have incarcerated parents is like greater than uh, kids who have autism or juvenile diabetes. And so there's like more awareness around those issues, but not around this one. And so anyway, I think that, and then also um, I in college discovered the outdoors to um, be so nourishing and healing for me, um, having some of my first like experiences um, at some of the California state parks and um, hiking and kayaking and doing those things, but also just like connecting with um, with my environment in a way that felt like um, very grounding and gave me a lot of solace. And it was so unexpected to me. I didn't think of myself as like an, um, I don't know, tree, hug tree hugger or an outdoor <laughs> person or, um, yeah, I think of myself in that way, but um, yeah, found it to be a healing space. Mm -hmm. No, thank you so much for sharing all of that, especially your personal connections to the incarceration system and to this work. Um, you know, I know that it's probably really hard to constantly see um, all this trauma like relived and constantly put out on social media and like everywhere, really. So I really appreciate you sharing that little bit with us. Um, so you know, you really mentioned prison abolition throughout this whole work and that connection. And I think it's something right now that everyone has at the tip of their tongue. I don't think I've ever seen this many people talking about prison abolition. And so for someone that's been doing this work for so long and has, you know, been deeply um, committed to it, like what does being an abolition mean, abolitionist mean to you? What does prison abolition mean to you? Yes, like you said, it, it, it's been wild for me to, I, I, I couldn't have expected that in 2020, abolition would become more part of the mainstream and that, you know, different folks would be talking about it. But um, I think for me, being an abolitionist means, it means, um, it means regeneration. It means being imaginative um, more so than, or it's not only about, you know, um, taking systems down, but also what are what are we going to be building in its place and what are we imagining in its place? Um, so yeah, imagination, regeneration, um, and by, by regeneration, I mean creating, looking toward and, and creating structures that are going to be life-giving rather than destructive and um, degrading. And uh, it's, it's, shifting from this like culture of disposability of seeing people as disposable of even even like also as like an environmentalist um the, the way we uh the way we just generate so much waste and that is like not the way of um nature and so mm -hmm. how can we move toward regeneration yeah yeah so um you kind of alluded a little bit to it but 
you know, this episode, I really wanted to bring that connection between abolition work and the outdoors. Um, one, because I've heard you speak about it before. And then two, I think as we see more people invested in like environmental justice or want to talk about it, I think there is still a need for a stronger connection between some more of this radical work with environmental work. And so for you, like, how do you see that connection between abolition work that you've been doing for a while now and also the work you want to be doing with the outdoors? Like, how is that connected? Yeah, yeah. Um, in addition to like what I was kind of getting at with um, regeneration, um, I think also part of it is like as as a black person and working with mostly black youth, I think that connection is also like a, an important part of like the Bloom Project, for example, is that we we value black joy and just like allowing these youth to. Yeah, just have fun and be kids and that's, that's not something that um, black youth always get to do because we're so policed and surveilled and um, yeah I mean it's you can't even be black and be outside um, and that's been shown over and over again uh, with like the, the police um, violence and killings that we've seen and so I think like that's one is just like being just able to exist outside without without this like policing surveilling structure um and then then i would also say um a big conversation right now is um a, a, a tactic right now that um the black lives matter movement has been calling for is to defund police and so a lot of folks are also talking about divestment and reinvestment. And so um, when I think about the connection between abolition and the outdoors, I also think about, um, you know, if all this, all this like money and resources that we spend on, on the prison industrial complex that could be um, rerouted into uh, creating more safe and sustainable communities that could that could go into creating environmental justice and um, creating more environmentally just spaces, um, healthier breathing spaces for um, BIPOC folks. So that's like another way I I think about the connection between abolition and the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Would you mind sharing also maybe some of the like activities or programming you've been able to do with the um, CR Bloom project that you feel kind of ties those things together of like abolition in the outdoors with youth? One that comes to mind immediately, more immediately is, uh, so we, we've done a lot of different um, activities. So some of it's been like kayaking on the San Antonio River. Um, other other um, activities we've done have been um, community gardening and planting plants. And, and um, at this one community garden we went to, uh, it was um, our curriculum that day was focused on soil and um, and our connection to soil, uh, why, why soil, why soil matters, why healthy soil matters, um, and thinking about the soils that we come from. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think that I think that important part of the Bloom Project is I think it's important for them to like get out and explore and see different things, but also uh, part of it is like um, 
re reimagining uh, reimagining like what 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 they think is possible for themselves and for their communities. And so um, I'm kind of going in circles right now, but I'm getting to a point. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> all good. <laughs> um, but with with uh, thinking about our connection to soil, uh, one way that I um, try to make that relevant to them, like in addition to us talking about our relationship to the soil, what soil we come from, I've introduced poetry as well. And so one of those poems being the poem uh, by Tupac, um, Rosette from Concrete. And um, thinking thinking about that poem, uh, which has really had an impact on, on our youth. Um, thinking about that poem, like the goal is not just to um, take youth out of the concrete and like put them somewhere else in like perhaps uh, more conducive soil, but it's to hopefully be able to transform um, the concrete and, and um, make better the, the soil that we're in. And so I think that 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 is um, that that is abolitionist work um, that like reimagining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think I've also in these moments when it feels like we're not getting anywhere or there's not this physical change that I want to see faster, I really try to lean into that radical imagination of like, what what can we do right now that is like setting the foundation work for the future? Um, so kind of going off of that, like, I guess for you, what does an abolitionist future look like for Black people and the environment? You know, both of these things interconnected. That's a beautiful question. Um, I love to try to end my podcast with, um, you know, like a, something that gives folks like hope and imagination. So, yeah, I love that. Abolitionist future um, is one where one where um, mutual aid is rampant, um, where uh, our communities that we we have everything we need to hold each other and to uplift each other and um, also hold each other um, and ourselves accountable. Um, I think also um, an abolitionist future is one where um, care and like care work, that kind of labor is valued and appreciated and um, celebrated. Um, yeah, an abolitionist future is one where there is uh, community trust, uh, where we know our neighbors and um, where our kids can be free and run, play in the streets. And um, we have sovereignty over our food and our growing our own food. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a bit of, bit of a picture. I think there's more, but <laughs> that's what comes to mind more immediately. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that definitely gives a lot of us hope. And I know for me, it's just hearing that other people are envisioning this is what feels like we're in this as a collective, right? And like we're moving forward as a collective. Is there anything you want to add? Anything else you want to add maybe about how people can support the, um, 
project, the nonprofit that you run, or just anything else you really want to add to this? Yes, yes. I would love to um, make a couple plugs. So um, I encourage everyone to follow um, the Bloom Project on Instagram, which is at DR Bloom Project. Um, follow us, tell your friends, family to follow. And, um, you know, with, and if you can or able, donations always help. We always, um, <laughs> That will always be a thing that allows us to continue to expand our reach and deepen um, our impact with the youth that we're serving. Mm-hmm. And um, and not even just uh, monetary donations, in-kind donations, um, volunteering is something that we're also um, accepting and uh, are always receptive to. And... Um, yeah, and I would say uh, one more uh, Instagram to follow would be Black Futures Collective. Um, that is an organization that uh, I'm a part of, part of mostly queer, trans, Black folks in San Antonio who are leading abolitionist organizing work. Um, and right now we're supporting Black people to rest. We have a campaign uh, where we are going to be buying um, weighted blankets, mattress tops, mattresses for uh, black folks in San Antonio, um, really prioritizing black women, femmes, and um, black trans women. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I will definitely make sure to tag those accounts and add them to the show notes. And I guess I, I'm so sad about the volunteering thing because I would love to like fly out and help out during like the summer or something. Cause well, we also, virtual volunteering is, is the thing, is the thing. Um, oh, okay, good. I was wondering yeah, if you had made that transition. Yeah, half of our team actually is currently virtual. And mm-hmm. uh, since I'll be moving to Santa Cruz, I'm going to be virtual for a good chunk of the time. Uh, I'll, I'll still have my team here holding it down, but I'm going to be directing the work from afar. Okay. So, I guess, do you yeah. want to then maybe speak a little bit on what potentially like volunteer could look like through online for maybe folks that do listen and, you know, want to be interested in helping out? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, some of that could look like supporting with curriculum development. Um, that's, that's a big, that's a, that's kind of a big one and what I'm still figuring out, but that is an option. Um, I say that's a big one because that's like a huge piece of the work, um, but um, otherwise, there's like um, making flyers and stuff using Canva, so like marketing type stuff, um, website design and development, and uh, just maintaining the website is like a whole job. Yes, um, tell me about it. Just last night, I was trying to figure something out for my website, and it took way longer than I expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, right now, though, I would say like, marketing is a big need for us um that's i'm currently looking for um someone who can fill in that position um, as a volunteer helping with marketing so that's probably number one right now cool yeah well definitely make sure to add that so that people um know that on the instagram and like also of course when they listen to this episode but thank you again camber for sharing like a little bit about this project about your abolition work and your vision for the future um and thank you all for listening to raices verdes this is a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as black indigenous people of color and to stay updated on future episodes 
and connect. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Nuestras Raices Verdes, website nuestrasraicesverdes.com. And of course, listen to all the episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.